afternoon, everyone. Uh, there is a fair few of us today. It's not crazy, crazy quiet, that's lovely. Um, <coughs> so, I wanted to start today with a question. Oh, oh I've really sung my high I worship there. My throat's gone. Okay, take some, I'm also going to have some juice. Um, so, first question, um, and those of you who were around last week and heard Andrew speak will understand why this question is here, is... Got milk? <laughs> Anyone remember these adverts? Like, you used to see them in, in magazines and stuff, and they're people with, like, weird mis milk moustaches, and it's really weird. So, uh, last week when Andrew was talking, he was saying how, you know, we need to have spiritual milk and grow to maturity, and actually, to understand some of the stuff that comes up, we need to have that, that foundation to understand what comes next, and Andrew actually mentioned in passing what's coming up today, which is, today, we are looking at what it means to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Which I thought sounded like a Harry Potter title. <laughs> Hence the fun and the fun. Um, but it's, this is an, in, an interesting one. Is anyone, is anyone familiar with... Uh, what it, could anyone, like, if, put your hand up if you could answer that question, what it means to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Andrew, Ryan. Okay, a few. Okay, so, cool. So it's not, a, you know, this won't be a complete waste of time for you, so that's good. <laughs> so, uh, as I've mentioned in all others and the other guys have said like to Hebrews is very much a understand what happened long ago to understand what was happening at the time when it was written so the long time ago in a kingdom far away um, we're going to look at Psalm 110 verse 4 where it says do, 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 do what it says it says so this is quite a prophetic psalm and King David who wrote this wrote this sort of looking prophetically towards the coming Messiah and it says he will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That cleared it up, right? Everyone now know what it means to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Not, help, not helpful at all, is it? So, so you go back that far and realize that that's not really helpful. So we have to go back even further to work out what that's on about. So a longer time ago <laughs> in a valley far away. So if you've uh, got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Genesis 14. And we're going to look at, but three verses, three verses, that's it. It's crazy. Um, and we're going to spend most of the time actually here rather than in Hebrews, which is a little bit controversial, but meh. Um, so it starts off with, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God, most high, brought Abraham some bread and wine. And you can look at that and think, great, what? <laughs> like, what is that? all about. But actually, in this verse, it's got some really interesting things, and I've got quite a long list of interesting things in these next few verses. I think there's about eight in total that are just interesting. So, uh, word study to begin with. Melchizedek uh, is a combination of Melk, which means king, and Tizedek, which means righteousness. So his name literally means king of righteousness. Interesting thing number one. Then it says that he's also the king of Salem. And it was really funny, actually, because in our Bible study on Friday, this came up. So Salem is uh, basically the same as Shalem or Shalom or Shalem or however you're meant to pronounce it. I No good. Um, but it means peaceful or peace. So he's also the king of peace. And doubly interesting is that Salem is also an early name for Jerusalem. So also the king of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? I don't really find that very interesting. A lot of this is just me nerding out, I've got to be honest. <laughs> um, so, 
it carries on. Other interesting things, he's the king of Salem and a priest. And this is interesting because historically, actually it's weird, because I say historically, actually after this, <laughs> so at that point it's Abraham, and actually it's Abraham, but when you get to Abraham and you know, various generations, then the 12 tribes of Israel, you have the Levites, and then you have Aaron, and the children of Levi and Aaron, they're the ones who end up being the, the priests and you know, looking after the temple and doing all the priestly stuff. Uh, that's a tiny little picture of a barbecue in the, the bottom right, just in case you're interested. Because, you know, effectively that's what sacrifices was when you put the bird on the barbecue and smoke it all up. Um, so, you know, that was good. Uh, but, you know, D King David was from the tribe of Judah. And there was sort of this weird sort of separation of church and state almost. And if you weren't, you know, and part of the tribe of Levi and you weren't a descendant of Aaron, you were not going to be a high priest. That was, that was not a thing. And there's a hilarious bit where Saul, King Saul, uh, is waiting for Samuel to turn up and gets really impatient. And so he actually does a sacrifice himself. And Samuel turns up and goes, no, what have you done? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's actually, that's basically the moment where Saul's reign gets said, no, no more. Because he's stepped outside of his bounds, he's done what wasn't his appointed thing to do. And Samuel says, oh, we're going to find some young shepherd boy whose heart is completely sold out for God to replace you because you were really dumb <laughs> and did a thing that you shouldn't have done. So, yeah, there's this whole idea of just this separation of uh, priesthood and uh, royalty that was, it was separate. It, you couldn't cross over the two. Yet Melchizedek was both a king and a priest, which is interesting. So uh, I think this is thing number four that is interesting. Uh, it said, priest of God most high. So this is, I don't know if this is one of the ones we did, but we did loads of uh, sermons on the different names of God. And this is one of them, God most high, which is El, El, Elion, El, Elon, El, Elon, I don't know. But point is, it's God most high. And this is the first time in the Bible that that name for God arrives. And that's interesting. Also, quite a fan of bread and wine. Just you know, put that out there. So it carries on and it says, And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. So actually, Melchizedek here is introducing this name of God to Abraham. It's a big, important Abraham. He's introducing this name of God, which is really really interesting because uh, yeah so he does it again there uh, praise be to God most high later on in Genesis 14 verse 22 Abraham is talking to the king of Salem and says the Lord God most high so he's actually had this meeting with Melchizedek who said God is God most high and that's actually changed Abraham's view of who God is and his language that he uses just to describe God. So it's actually changed his understanding of who God is. So that's an interesting thing. And equally interesting is, that's it. But those verses are the whole thing. Like So in Hebrews, you've got Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8 and scattered throughout loads of other bits with the author of Hebrews saying, Melchizedek, Melchizedek. And that's the entirety of scripture in the Old Testament to do with Melchizedek. Isn't that bonkers? But it's got such good stuff in there. And one of the things 
that's interesting about that's it is actually another thing uh, that the author of Hebrews in 7 sort of picks out on, which is that Melchizedek just appears out of nowhere. He's not like, uh, this, it's, there's no genealogies that led to Melchizedek, and then, you know, there was a genealogy, and it said, and then he died, and so ever his son went on to do whatever. He just appears out of nowhere for three verses, changes everything, and then goes away. <laughs> it's, it's completely bonkers. So, because of that, the author of Hebrews says, actually, in a way, he's got this sort of almost eternal nature, because he has no beginning and no end. He just has this weird sort of three-verse middle that doesn't seem to have a start or an end to it. So, does king of righteousness, king of peace, king of Jerusalem, priest as well as a king, brings blessing, appears out of nowhere and changes the understanding and nature of God, and those encounters, a big fan of bread and wine, without beginning or end, sound like anybody we know? Does any of this sound familiar? So you can, you can maybe see a little bit where the author of Hebrews is going with this. Um, and so, for another geek out, in Doctor Who, when it first came back, the end of the first season, they had this whole thing with Bad Wolf. And it was this idea that uh, Rose, the companion at the time, had sort of taken on the time vortex, and there was this Bad Wolf company behind her, and she took the letters and scattered them throughout time, through the future, through the past, all through the galaxy, all to point to that moment where she would become Bad Wolf. And it kind of feels a bit like that in this scripture. It's like the cross is scattered and Jesus is scattered through all of history with things pointing towards that ultimate pinnacle of history with Jesus on the cross. And it's just got that sort of feel of sort of ripples going throughout time and things that point to Jesus in the future. And I just think that's really fascinating. Another one was um, Zechariah, where it also says that Jesus will also be you know, on a throne and a priest. So it wasn't just um, Melchizedek who sort of prophesied that. There was other people too, which is cool. So, I previously mentioned that Hebrews can be summed up with the words, Jesus is better. So all of this is really interesting. <laughs> but what is Jesus better than? And in Hebrews 7, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is better than this system. Jesus is better, he's a better priest, a better high priest than uh, what has been before. He actually says himself, why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? So like, why did God need someone in the order of Melchizedek? Didn't God just you know, do that whole 12 tribe and the Levites and the, 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 you know, that kind of temple system and all that? Kind of, why did God need to reinvent the wheel almost? And he <laughs> answers it straight away, which is brilliant. He's so blunt. The old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. <laughs> Doesn't mince his words, does he? <laughs> it's like the old one was rubbish. It just didn't work. And the whole of chapter... I won't go through the whole of chapter 7, otherwise we'd be here for ages, but I'll just sort of summarise it as to the sort of comparison of the old uh, priestly system and the priestly system that Jesus inhabits. So the old one was inconsistent because you'd get one priest and then they'd very rudely die and then you'd get the next people and what I was thinking about that is it's sort of like when we elect a prime minister sometimes and they go yay we've elected this person and then after a couple of years they step down and there's some other person who's now prime minister and you're like I didn't elect you who are you <laughs> but someone else steps in you don't know what they're going to be like and so you can't sort of fully invest in it, because at any point it could change and someone else could be in that role doing maybe not a great job. Whereas Jesus is eternal 
and will be our high priest forever and ever and ever, and no one's ever going to take that job off of him. The old system, all you needed to be in that priestly order was to be from the line of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. That was it. You were just born into it. It, was, uh, it wasn't something that you would, you know, they didn't apply for it. They didn't write their CVs out. They didn't uh, get recommendations like, oh, you, that's your dad, and he's your dad's dad? Great, you're in. You know, that was it. There was no more than that. Whereas Jesus, uh, in Psalm 110, where we looked at that sort of prophetic word by David, looking forward to the Messiah, it's God saying he will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's God appointing Jesus to that role. And so, you know, Jesus has like the, you know, God the Father's seal of approval for the role and the job, which is great. Um, Humans, just, you know, because fallen, not great. And God, perfect. So, you know, it's a diverse comparison there. And then the old, the sacrifices were never ending. So every year there'd be these massive barbecues where they'd, you know, atone for the sin of the community and stuff. And they'd do it every single year. And Jesus died once, forever, and said, it's finished, it's done. No more, well, you know, we still have barbecues, but they're a little less dramatic. Uh, So, you know, Jesus died once for our sin forever because he was perfect. He was the perfect spotless lamb. He was without sin. He was absolutely perfect and, you know, not so much with the old system where every year you'd have to come and repent and come and bring your your lamb or your ox or whatever it was at the time and to say, oh, you know, we've sinned again. But Jesus is once for all, for all time. And that is awesome. And as such, I hope you agree, (laughs) Jesus is better. Jesus is better because we don't have to do all that old stuff anymore. Jesus is our eternal priest appointed by God, completely perfect. And I was trying to think about this, and I was like, why, why is, this is really, a lot of this is really interesting, but why is that good? <laughs> now, why did that actually make a difference? And I think one of the things that really stands out for me in this is the fact that Jesus is both king and priest, which means that, you know, the role of the priest, they had access. They, you know, they were the ones allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and, you know, be, be with God and as king, you have authority. So Jesus, as priest and king, has both ultimate access and ultimate authority. And if you have one of those things on their own, it doesn't really help us very much, does it? If Jesus had ultimate access to God, you know, was sat at the right hand of God, but couldn't actually intervene for us at all, then that wouldn't be much help. Or if he could intercede for us, but had no authority to change things, then that wouldn't help either, but you need both for Jesus to be effective and powerful. And Jesus has both this access and authority because he is both high priest and king of kings. So that's really cool. And what I was thinking about with this is also what's really great is we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So it's not just Jesus who has this sort of dual authority and dual access we do too. So that's 1 Peter 2 verse 9 for anyone who can't read that because it's quite small, I guess. But because Jesus is our older brother and because when we become Christians, we're part of his family, we become royalty. We become royalty and part of that priesthood as well. So we have this measure of authority and access as well. 
Uh, in Matthew, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus has been given all authority and out of that authority says to us, go, I'm with you, I've got your back. The person who has ultimate authority and ultimate access to God is behind us and with us and is cheering us on to go and do incredible, awesome things. And it's because of that authority and access that Jesus has that we can see the sick, the sick, the sick healed. We can, you know, the fearful can know peace, the tired can find strength and darkness can tremble where we go because Jesus has that authority and that access. So that it, <laughs> it's, anyone heard this story? I came this this a side note, but anyone heard this thing about uh, the priests having something tied around them when they went to this so they can get? Apparently, that's not completely well founded. I thought that was like a factual in the Bible thing, but apparently, it's a bit like uh, maybe it might have been a bit of a sort of lifestyle kind of thing. Interesting, but yeah, uh, the whole idea of you know the the presence of God was something that was you know you fall over and you're you're in a bad way, but Jesus has access to the Father. He's literally sat next to him and is cheering us on, and that's so awesome. And our access is not once a year, potentially with something tied around our leg. We have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. We have access to God through the Spirit that he has imparted into us. And so we have access. We have access and authority. And I think a lot of the time we can sort of downgrade that and not really appreciate the access and the authority that we do have through Jesus and through his spirit. Spirit? Spirit. <laughs> and so uh, it was really encouraging today uh, during the worship to see people uh, like singing in tongues and, and bringing words and that kind of stuff because we have access. It's just so encouraging to see God you know, speaking to us. That, that Everyone who brought something didn't need to go out, burn something on a barbecue, speak to a special dude, wait for him to go do a talking thing, come back, relay that. We have direct access, and that is incredible. So as a sort of, I don't think I've got any more notes. Yeah, so out, that's pretty much it for today. But what I wanted to do is just embrace that a little bit more, if that's all right. So what I wanted to do is just take five, ten minutes and just get each of us to sit there and pray for a bit and say, God, have you got anything for me that... I can share? Have you got anything for me that you want me to, to bring to your people? And equally, because Jesus has ultimate authority, if there's anyone who's sick, it would be great to pray today because Jesus has ultimate authority and we can say to sickness, do one. And hopefully Jesus will honor that and it will go away. So is that all right? I know it's a bit weird, but we're not going to I could go, and now we're going to get Sam to play some clinky clunky music on the piano to make us feel the experience of God. But I'm not going to do that, because, you know, we have ultimate access, and a lot of the time, uh, I feel like it's sort of in the modern church, we can, we, we've, we've got rid of the temple and gone, we don't need that, but what we do need is a band, pads, a dark room, some mood lighting. You know, we don't need any of that. We have ultimate access to the Father, and we don't need any gimmicks, and we don't need any you know, special stuff. All we need is hearts that is a, hearts that are open and ready to receive from our Father in heaven. So, is that okay? Give that a go for a minute. So yeah, I would encourage. <laughs> I was going to pick out a mic. I just still Sam's. So 
We'll give it like five, ten minutes, and if you feel like God has given some, you something you want to share, I'm going to move this mic and put it on the stand, and please do bring that, and if you would like, we do, if, once Sam actually starts playing properly again afterwards, um, a couple of us maybe will go to the back, and if you need prayer for healing, we shall pray for you. Is that on? Testing. Yes, cool. So I'll shut up now. <laughs> And uh, we'll do that. That'd be great.